section sixteen of the beginning of the middle ages by richard william church this librivox recording is in the public domain recording by pamela nagami chapter seven the carolingians charles the great part three charles like his father pippin was too much of a statesman to be indifferent to the good and evil in the church and to the great and increasing place which it occupied in the growing society of the new nations the irish and english missionaries were pioneers of frank influence in central germany in some cases its forlorn hope they were instruments of keener temper than the sword for the permanent conquest of barbarism both for this reason and from a genuine sympathy for their dauntless courage and severe and thoroughgoing religion they were warmly encouraged by the new frank kings on the other hand the disorder in the church invited from so strong a ruler as charles the most uncompromising policy of interference and correction his ecclesiastical administration was unswerving in purpose and absolute in its claims never in modern europe has the union of church and state exhibited in the supremacy of the king been carried to so high a point the pope was there recognized doubtless as the highest religious authority he sanctioned and consecrated charles's power but the pope was too completely dependent for his italian dominions on his alliance with the franks to venture seriously to thwart his protector in the capitularies we find laws on ecclesiastical and spiritual matters placed exactly on the same footing as the strictly political and civil laws the rebellious saxons were baptized as a proof of their submission to the king just as in later times the other sacrament has been used as a test of loyalty to government and in their case to depart from the religion of their conquerors was punished with death as if it were treason bishops and abbots were peremptorily recalled to their duties they were forbidden to ride forth to the wars carry arms and shed blood and to live as laymen the king's interference extended to matters strictly belonging to their province by his own authority he altered corrected and as he believed reformed and improved the offices of the church in the controversies of the day he formed his opinion and ruled the conclusions of councils cautiously indeed and with ecclesiastical learning to back him but by authority of his own in the question about images which was so complicated by political difficulties and had so much to do with finally separating the greek and latin churches he took his part the part it must be said of moderation and sobriety he rejected a council claiming to be ecumenical nicaea two seven eighty seven and opposed the pope who had accepted it while he boldly attempted in a frank council of his own frankfurt seven ninety two and by the pen of his scholars and divines to fix the opinion and usage of the western church the most unceremonious proclamations of strict and unsparing discipline were addressed to the bishops and articles of inquiry were sent about detailed and minute as to their knowledge of the elements of religion the morality of their lives their diligence in preaching their capacity and that of their clergy to perform the offices of religion 
they are to be asked he says in one of these visitation circulars and the question is to be driven home what is the meaning of the apostles saying second timothy chapter two verse four no man that warreth entangleth himself with the affairs of this life and to whom do the words apply charles's idea of his office as king was deepened and enlarged when he became emperor he then rose from being the king of the franks and lombards to what the world of this day and after it the middle ages supposed to be the unique and transcendent supremacy inherited from caesar augustus as emperor of the romans he claimed to govern the roman world and all persons and things in it as emperor he claimed the pope himself as his subject the pope was his father and guide in religion and governed the church by power not derived from man and according to a legislation of its own yet subject to his own visitatorial control at the pope's hands he received his own imperial crown and anointing but the election of the pope required the emperor's confirmation the pope like everyone else had to take the oath of fidelity to the emperor the pope went through the ceremony as it is expressed in unsuspicious contemporary language of adoring him at his coronation after the custom of the emperors of old pope leo the third pleaded before him and charles in bidding his envoys exhort the pope to live honestly to observe the canons and to avoid simony used the same force and freedom with which he exhorted his bishops charles's claim to interfere in religious matters which he had put high as king of the franks and lombards was sensibly raised both in extent and peremptoriness when he became emperor he conceived and his age with him that he had received from god together with the inheritance of the caesars the duty and office of the jewish kings not only of protecting the church of god but of purifying it from evil and making every one in it from the highest to the lowest do his duty and submit to the imperial authority and rebuke this broad claim to superintend and regulate the policy the government the practice and even the belief of the church with which the east had been long familiar was new among the teutonic rulers of the west in charles appeared for the first time realized and complete the medieval idea of the roman empire according to this idea the unity of the christian empire reflected the unity of the christian church and the empire had its supreme head caesar augustus as the church had the successor and representative of saint peter in charles's interpretation of the idea the ultimate control of this twofold realm rested with the divinely appointed caesar where there was a conflict of judgment it was for his authority to prevail the revival of the empire was the pope's doing and for a long time the popes sought in vain to undo what in a time of need they had too hastily sanctioned but to undo was beyond their power men took different sides in the great question which arose out of the idea of the empire but the idea had struck deep root it was the idea at once of frederick the second and dante of gregory the seventh and boniface the eighth the precedent set by charles and the fierce debates arising out of it affected the whole history of the middle ages and even of the centuries which followed the reformation 
nor is its eventful significance exhausted yet in the great conflicts between church and state both parties have sought arguments from it the governments of europe have found in it an armory of precedents to limit or to extinguish the liberties of the church while in the origin and incidents of the revived empire and in the new place of the papacy which followed on this revival the champions of the pope have seen proofs of the theory which made him the master of kings and laws charles was keenly alive to the depressed state of knowledge and of general cultivation in his age and to the contrast in regard to literature and theology between his own times and the great days before him early in his reign he collected about him in his palace the best scholars he could attract and made them his familiar friends the most considerable of them was like the great german missionary of the previous generation boniface an englishman alcuin came over from the school of york in seven eighty two and remained with a short interval on the continent till his death in eight hundred and four by such help charles tried to improve his own knowledge and to raise the standard of acquirement round him records of the conversations and discussions which went on between the king and his palace school have been preserved in alcuin's writings they show the almost childish confusions and affectations of reviving knowledge but they also show the manly interest felt in the task of inquiry and self-improvement the king and his companions furnished themselves with names partly from the bible partly from latin literature charles was david and there was a nathaniel and a basalio alcuin was flaccus albinus with a homer a mopsus a flavius demoidus and for the ladies of the palace the sisters and daughters of charles there were the names of lucia columba delia eulalia they employed their mother wit and their curiosity on such learning as was within their reach relating to the processes of thought and the powers of speech the laws of numbers and sound the motions of the heavenly bodies and they called it logic grammar rhetoric arithmetic music and astronomy charles learned to speak latin with facility and he understood better than he spoke greek in his native frankish german he was a vigorous and impressive speaker and the splendour and usefulness of latin did not shake his allegiance to his mother tongue he was passionately fond of the old german songs and lays he attempted a german grammar which means probably that like otfrid the translator of the gospels in the next generation he attempted the then hopeless task of grasping under rules like those of latin the varying spoken dialects of his kingdom he tried late in life but without success to acquire what was then the professional art of writing he was a severe critic of the reading and singing in his chapel it was his custom to be read to at meals and his favourite book was st augustine's city of god which with its grand sweeping generalizations and its religious sense of the presence of god in the history and development of mankind answered to his own lofty view of the work to which he had been called in promoting the improvement of learning charles showed the same eagerness of person as he did in politics or war or hunting utterly disregardful of trouble and untiring in what he did himself 
he called on his bishops and abbots both to learn themselves and to enforce learning among their subordinates ordinances were issued calling for schools to be set up in the great sees and monasteries they arose or were quickened into activity where already founded and they produced their fruits in the next generation and kept hope alive amid great disasters colonies were sent from the schools and monasteries of gaul into germany thus new corbeil in the conquered saxon land was founded by converted saxons who had been trained at corbeil on the somme at osnabruck in view of greater intercourse with constantinople greek was specially ordered to be taught the increasing list of learned names which began to appear from this century almost all of them pupils of the new german schools shows that charles's efforts were not altogether in vain but it was easier to command and even show the way than to be obeyed and even to be obeyed than to alter the inherited conditions of his age yet charles was as practical as he was enthusiastic and resolute in this as in other things the wants of men and the necessity of supplying them were insisted upon by the master spirit of the time with such manifest truth and reason that though the change was imperceptible and was thwarted by countless adverse influences a great change had really set in and encouragement was given to those who in those wild and perplexed times believed that men were meant for something better and higher than a life of fighting of personal rivalries and of coarse enjoyment charles's great qualities were alloyed with great faults with the excellences of a strong nature he had the failings and self-delusions of the strong great as he was both in what he aimed at and in what he accomplished he could not be above his age he had the rudeness of a barbarian endeavouring to rise above barbarism rude as peter the great in like circumstances was rude yet charles's was the rudeness of a larger and more genial nature and of a nobler ambition but charles was one of those who think they know enough and have strength enough to mould the world at their will with strong affections and wide sympathies he was imperious and masterful he saw no limits in his power to correct and mend and no limits in his right to exercise it and his too ambitious and sometimes unscrupulous attempts sowed the seeds of mischief to come clement and placable as he was in peace his wars were ferocious and his policy after conquest unsparing yet it was the ferocity which often since his time has been judged the only weapon to extinguish obstinate and dangerous resistance he was in earnest in his religion and there was much in it not only of earnestness but of intelligence but it was not complete or deep enough to exclude that waywardness and inconsistency of moral principle and that incapacity to control passion which belonged to the time we do not hear of the foul murders and treasons of the merovingian times but his court was full of the gross licentiousness of the period he was not superior to it himself there were many evil stories about him and tenderly attached as he was to his children he was not happy in their training and fortunes the frank kingdom which charles had received from his father included gaul from the loire to the rhine 
with an ill-established sovereignty over the german tribes between the rhine the elbe and the upper danube and over the impatient latinized population of aquitaine during the forty-seven years of charles's reign it had grown into a resemblance of the dominion of the caesars when charles died its borders were the ebro in spain the elbe in germany or beyond the elbe the eider and the bavarian ents if not the hungarian tice to the southeast all of what is now germany west of the bohemian mountains not merely acknowledged in him an overlord but was really one to his rule he secured what his father had only fought to secure the submission of latin aquitaine and the submission at last complete and sincere of the stout-hearted and obstinate saxons there had been one independent christian kingdom on the mainland of the west that of the lombards at pavia it had disappeared he had wrested from them all italy which was beginning to be called by their name from the alps to calabria and the king of the franks preserved the memory of his conquest by adding to his title that of king of the lombards his more indefinite claims to sovereignty or tribute extended beyond these limits to corsica and perhaps sardinia to the lands between the danube and the head of the adriatic to the barbarous tribes of slavs eastward of his proper border as far as the vistula from the ocean to the mountains of the bohemians and the plains of hungary and poland from the baltic till he met the arabs in spain the greeks in calabria sicily and dalmatia the continental europe of that time owned his sway and formed his empire it seemed to be the centre of all authority the bond of union among the nations charles was one of those men who in person and outward bearing answer to their place tall robust well proportioned in body with great strength and activity simple in dress bright and keen-eyed clear but shrill in voice commanding in feature hale in his old age he lived with unbroken health till his last few years greatly despising physicians and remedies he was a great eater but sparing of wine and relied on starvation as his only medicine he was a great rider and swimmer passionately fond of bathing and delighting in the hot springs and pools of his favourite aachen to the very last he was a mighty and untiring hunter after an autumn spent in violent exercise the winter of eight thirteen to fourteen was at length too much for him fever and pleurisy attacked him and he would only meet them by starving himself on the morning of january twenty eighth eight fourteen he died he was buried the same day in the stately basilica which he had built hard by his palace at aachen or aix-la-chapelle and adorned with marbles brought from rome and ravenna he was laid in the tomb which he had made for himself on the gilded arch beneath which he lay was his effigy and the inscription under this tomb is laid the body of charles great and orthodox emperor who nobly enlarged the kingdom of the franks and for forty-seven years reigned prosperously he died being seventy years old in the year of our lord eight fourteen the seventh indiction the fifth day before the calends of february there in the vault below he was left sitting as in life on a marble throne dressed in his imperial robes with his horn his sword and his book of the gospels on his knee 
and there says the legend in the last years of the tenth century he was found by otto the third who ventured to open the tomb and who beheld the undecayed form of the great emperor of the franks for the first time since the fall of the roman empire in the west a king an emperor had arisen in the new nations to rule with glory a conqueror a legislator a founder of social order a restorer of religion his unbroken success his wide dominion his consecrated authority his fame spread to the farthest bounds of the world recalled the great kings of the bible the great caesars of rome what made him so great was that his aim was not only to conquer and overthrow and enjoy but that he laboured so long and so resolutely with deliberate purpose for the benefit of men it was all the more wonderful and impressive from the disorder which had been before from the disorder which for a long time followed his reign was a romantic episode interposed in the midst of what seemed normal and irremediable anarchy the unique splendour of his reign which even we with our cooler judgments see to have been so remarkable naturally dazzled the imaginations of his age the haze of legend and poetry soon enveloped his image in the memory of the nations the great german king in caesar was transformed into a latin hero of romance the theme of the norman Jean de roland and of the italian poets of the court of ferrara boiardo and ariosto more strangely still as the great champion and legislator and benefactor of the church he grew though personally so lax in his rules of life into the reputation of a saint he was never formally canonized but his name and his doings appear in the catalogue of the saints his altar was frequent at one time in germany and the low countries and to this day his title to saintship is still acknowledged by altar and image and festival in the churches of the lower valais his glory was the prelude to strange reverses in the fortunes of his posterity strong as he was the times were yet stronger and the children of charles proved even less worthy of their origin than the children of clovis for they started from a higher point and they sank at last almost as low as the merovingians End of section 16